With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand. It's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Sexton trying to get loose. He'll fire. He knocks it down. Carl slammed it home. Garland upstairs. Oh! Sexton inside. Oh. A thunderstorm. And Allen blocked the shot at the rim. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Cavs Media family. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Zoom. Half a million businesses connect using Zoom, a single platform for phone, chat, workspaces, events, apps, and video. Zoom enables real-time collaboration for teams around the globe. Zoom, how the world connects. And connecting with me now, live via Zoom, following what I would argue is the Cavs' worst loss of the season is my co-host, Carter Rodriguez. Carter, how you doing, buddy? I'll tell you what, Justin. We are out of practice talking about a team that's not doing so well. Uh, <laughs> I, was, I was sitting here racking my brain for new stuff to talk about, trying to think about... You know what what angles haven't we covered um because you know the story is so much the same uh as of late and, and i was like wait we did we did this for three seasons <laughs> yes How? we do yep man you know? i'll tell you what we you uh inertia is is real my friend because when things uh, I, I, you know, I don't think I realized how little we had to work on this thing all season. <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy. You know what? I, I still think there's a ton to talk about, but you're right. Oh, there it, is. It there is. is. Weird. It's just, it's just more of an, it is definitely more of a labor when things aren't going well. I mean, I even feel that way, like listening, uh, to content about the team. So, you know, there is plenty to talk about. It's just, it's, it's it feels foreign mm-hmm. and it's strange. Well, I, I mean, it is a dramatic shifting of gears, as I said before, when you factor in the fact that at the beginning of February, the Cavs were tied for the most wins in the Eastern Conference. They had already been without Ricky Rubio for a month. Uh, they, they were seven games over 500 with Rubio. They managed to get that up to 14. And you lose Larry at the end of January. You lose Garland. You lose Levert. You lose Rondo. You lose Allen and now Mobley. And the season can change in a pretty dramatic way. And I, I think the injuries that the Cavs have faced are the largest story of this last third of the season. But that was not the case against the Orlando Magic. Uh, after we wrapped up the last podcast, I, I shared with you that I, I was feeling pretty, pretty nervous for that game. And basically all my worst fears came true as the Cavs lost what really felt 
oh, well, essentially is a must-win game against the Orlando Magic because now the, the play-in situation changes dramatically. The Cavs are in a much, much worse position where they have to beat some pretty good teams. Brooklyn, who's obviously fighting to stay out of the 9-10 uh, to avoid the play-in race. And then Milwaukee, last game of the season, you would assume that maybe that's a rest game, but at the same time, Giannis might be going for the scoring title. He's right there in that range, and, and you have no idea how that game is going to go. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be, uh, the, as you said, like the Cavs are kind of no longer, it, well, it's weird. They are in control of their destiny Yes, in the sense that if they win games, they will hold on to the seven spot. Yep. If they lose games, they will not hold on to the seven spot. But in reality, um, these are much tougher games than playing the Orlando Magic. Totally. So, like, <laughs> I, so like, I don't know. It, it, it is, it is a weird thing where, yeah, they've got a good shot to, to kind of, you know, still hold on to this darn thing. But it is looking more likely than not that they fall to the eight, nine, or ten spot. I mean, mm -hmm. nine or ten is obviously the disaster. Yeah. But like, what, where, where do your hopes lie as it currently stands? Oh, man. I, I mean, at this point, obviously, the best thing they could do for themselves is to win Friday at Brooklyn. Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski today kind of hinted towards the, the possibility of Evan Mobley playing in that game. Brian Windhorst on, on ESPN mentioned that he thinks it's possible Allen and Mobley play. Obviously, we have no confirmation one way or another, but winning that game would be significant. Because the reality is, the Cavs are not going to have the tiebreaker over Atlanta, they're not going to have it over Brooklyn, and they're not going to have it over Charlotte. Even though they split the season series against Charlotte, if those uh, if they end with the same record, that means Charlotte would have more in-conference wins. Brooklyn has more in-conference wins. So um, basically, at this point, one loss for Charlotte or one Cavs win the rest of the way means that Cleveland will avoid the worst-case scenario of falling to 10. So that's good. You need one Cavs win and one Hawks loss to avoid Atlanta passing them or two Hawks losses in the event that Cleveland doesn't win a game. Same goes for Brooklyn. You win Friday and they cannot pass you in the standings. If you lose to them and you beat the Bucks, Brooklyn can still catch them and pass them by winning their last three games. Obviously, the first of those three games comes tonight against the New York, New York Knicks. So if you're listening to this in the morning and the Knicks beat the Nets, the situation is already a lot better. So fingers crossed, bing bong, baby. Let's hope the, the Knicks can pull that off. But uh, th this thank, is a thank you for doing all this work, by the way. If you're watching on YouTube, I just went ahead and threw up all these scenarios mm -hmm. onto the live stream. And yeah, I mean, in a, in a weird way, it looks pretty good. Okay, right? Like you know, you win win one game against the Nets, and kind of all of this goes a lot better. Yep. Um, but you know, that's a that's a hard hard task when the team is as limited as they've been, especially if Mobley and Allen are not back. And, and even if they are back, I mean, there yeah, it's, is it's not exactly a, a guaranteed win. That basketball is a game of momentum, and Jared Allen's going to be out for a month. Uh, I would expect he's not fully in game shape. Uh, you don't know if he's still dealing with some pain uh, with the hand injury. If he did come back, Evan Mobley hasn't played in a while. You can expect some rust. I mean, look at trying to integrate Karis LeVert in the middle of the season after he missed time. That was difficult. And uh, even though these guys aren't high-usage players that are dribbling a ton and you, you kind of have to get more into rhythm that way, there is like they're not going to automatically become the January Cavs just by getting everybody back. So um, at, at this point, isn't it crazy to think that Jared Allen 
If he doesn't come back, we'll only have played 56 games this season. Carter, I've got an even more heartbreaking stat for you. If he does not come back during the regular season, Allen, Garland, and Mobley will have only played 40 games together this year. Ugh. That is less than half the season. They went 26 and 14 in those games, which would be a 53 win pace, uh, which is currently the winning percentage of the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. So, uh, I mean, we know that there is countless positive takeaways from this season, but this, I mean, you look at this loss to the Magic, and this is uh, just because they're in this situation because of injuries doesn't mean this isn't revealing something. And I I think it reveals kind of how fragile their defense can be and how much really did rely on Mobley and Allen uh, containing the interior. Um, I think you're starting to see some of the the mentality of, okay, well, we've arrived to some extent, so we can just show up and beat the Orlando Magic. And uh, when they got out to that 14-3 run, Brad Doherty running, uh, yelling, run the bus, start the bus. They they don't have an answer for us. Like, I I think that was the mentality of the team coming in, that they could show up. They would blow the doors off of Orlando. They've given up a bunch of 50-point gains, even though uh, their defensive rating since the uh, All-Star break has been good. They've still given up big uh, individual performances. And I think it came back and bit them. Uh, and like like I said, I, I really do believe that that was their worst loss of the season at the worst possible time. So now they've put themselves in a situation where they got to go out and take one. They got to, if they are missing Mobley and Allen against Brooklyn, you need to be Orlando and hand Brooklyn a very frustrating loss at a crucial time or, or do the same thing to Milwaukee. Yeah, I mean, it is... You know, you got you to gotta sleep in the bed you make. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, the Cavs hat, you build a pad in your, in your record when things are going well so you can absorb things when they're not. And that's why the loss is so painful against Orlando. Because, I mean, you know, like, I, I don't think... This might be stupid. It almost certainly is stupid. Just, just say it, because if it is stupid, it's content. I get to laugh at you. I don't think I all the way thought through how much worse it is to be 9-10 versus 7-8. <laughs> like having to win two like sudden death elimination games versus just having to win one is just such an advantage. I mean... Well, and, and, and it know, gets and even more so, ridiculous... It gets even more ridiculous when you look at the teams that are in this mix because Atlanta, high power offense with a really dynamic player in Trey Young that can outscore anybody on any given night. Uh, Charlotte has entered that realm when it comes to what they can do offensively. And then Brooklyn just being there with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant at, at the height of their powers. Like that is atypical, it is, uh, it's nightmare fuel. And the one part of the kind of final schedule thing that uh, we didn't hit on before is if the Cavs do lose both of these games, the ways for these teams to not pass them is by Charlotte going two and one. So any loss from Charlotte means they can't pass them. Brooklyn needs to go one and two and Atlanta needs to go one and two if the Cavs don't get a a win. So that's what the uh, Charlotte cannot pass the Cavs now, right? What's that? Can Charlotte past the Cavs with if Charlotte wins night. if Charlotte wins out and the Cavs lose out uh they would tie in the win column and they would have the better in conference record so they they could in theory pass the Cavs 
Got it. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, it, it's all on the table. And, um, like, I, I think there's some similarities when you look at the Orlando game. And, and this is going to sound a little ridiculous, but there's some similarities to when the Cavs played both Dallas and Atlanta in the sense that that's a team that could shoot at every single position on the floor. Mo Bamba hit five threes on them. Um, you had uh, my, my Canadian brethren, whose name I can't even begin to pronounce, uh, hitting a bunch of threes on them. And they really stretch the floor out. And when you have Moses Brown, who does not come out of the interior defensively, uh, and you have the, the miscommunications that you have, you are going to be vulnerable to a team like that. It's different than the Knicks that don't have a lot of good shooters on, on the floor at any given time. Uh, and Mitchell Robinson is a more traditional five. Uh, even uh, the Philadelphia 76ers don't have a lot of shooters on the floor at any given time. And half the time, they're not even looking to play basketball. So I think from a matchup standpoint, in terms of the personnel the Cavs had and their ability to defend those teams, it was actually a, a little easier, or at least it played in the same style as Orlando. But that does not excuse the loss because they still had more than enough to win. And if you look at the biggest differences between the Knicks game and the Magic game, in my opinion, it comes down to Isaac Okoro and Karis LeVert really not having the, the impact that they had in that Knicks game. Okoro was very good in that game offensively. He was assertive. He had a great opening minute against the Magic, and then you didn't really notice him. Uh, I didn't think he played particularly good defense. Both he and Garland were pretty weak at the point of attack. And Karis LeVert started off well and faded as well. So when you're not getting contributions from them and you're not doing much on the defensive end of the floor against a team that doesn't match up well to you uh, against you, you're in a really tough spot. Yeah, I mean, I just think they played really bad, unfocused yeah. basketball. Right? I mean, some I, some lazy passes in transition that got blown up just because they weren't being careful. Um, Orlando was jumping passing lanes left and right. Mm -hmm. uh, but, I mean, just, you know, you didn't lose this game on the offensive side of the ball. And that's how I know a lot of the criticisms that I'm seeing of, you know, JB and, and, and stuff are, you know, ill-informed. Is There's a lot of, like... Where's the creativity on offense? I'm like, guys, if you think we're losing on offense, mm -hmm. you have know, 120 points to the shell of the magic. Yeah. I I I Iggy Bragsdakis yeah. is, is scoring 20 off the bench, and Mo Wagner is scoring 15 on some pretty tough shots, mind you. Yeah. But, um, you that know, I just think... three was a killer. Oh, ter terribly painful. But, you know, like, that's what happens when you, you, you mess around and you find out. Too, too many um, so, of my worst memories uh, as a Cavs fan have occurred in Orlando's building, um, yeah. especially when you're talking about like abnormally good three point shooting. That was bringing back a lot of memories, and and especially once Mark don't Fultz, save Mikael Pietras. Oh, buddy, when podcast. when Markel, well, when Markel Fultz started hitting all those jump shots, I, I was I was beside myself. Even Jalen Suggs to my hit a tough shot. That guy can't shoot. It, yeah, it was, you, you saw Ray for Alston, the ghost of Ray for Alston. Oh, if there was a banked in three, I, I might have just like collapsed on the spot. But no, they, they absolutely had more than enough uh, to, to win. And that's, you know, that's an inexcusable loss. And I've seen conversations about, you know, looking back on some of the games where, OK, Garland's back was bothering him and he was getting some prolonged rest. Could he have played in those games if we didn't drop those games? Um, w would we still be in this position? But the reality is 
if the Cavs are going to go on an extended run, which I, I feel like they have the foundation to be a very good team for years to come, and we're really in, we've gone from the rebuild to the build up at this point. If that's the way they're going to go, you're going to need to be able to rest Garland on, on some nights or Mobley or Allen and keep everybody in the best shape possible, right? And, and to manage mid, uh, kind of minor injuries and prevent them from becoming more major. You need to be able to go out there and win those games. And, and sure, that would be easier if you had Rubio, if you had Sexton and all the other guys. And we've talked about the snowball effect of this year. But I still think like you, you got to do what's in the best interest of a player's long-term health and have confidence in your team that they're going to be able to go out there and execute with or without their guys. Yeah, I mean, you should be able I mean, simply put, you should be able to win this game. Yep. I do think in terms of things that we we have learned from this stretch is I think the I went from kind of feeling this to without a, without a shadow of a doubt feeling this. I think the Cavs must address the backup center position this offseason yeah. with with a legitimate uh, player who can play rotation minutes for them mm-hmm. because you just can't have your starting power forward and your backup center be the same guy because yeah. if that guy goes out because even when Jarrett was out uh, and it was just Evan, they were undermanned at the five in, mm-hmm. a, in a very major way. So like if you can't afford uh, an injury to your five or your starting four uh and not have your defense collapse i think that there is a there i i think that it's been very revealing like i understand why they built the team the way they did because okay you want to get mobley the minutes the backup five the development reps there and he can certainly play those minutes again especially against bench units but i think we just saw how fragile that construction was Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, just imagine if they had a Robin Lopez as your third, as their third center. You know, <laughs> with like, his sky hooks of death, <laughs> his his valley hooks. Um, like, yeah, I, I think like a guy like that. I mean, I think that I think legitimately all. Uh, I think Mo Bamba or Robin Lopez would have been the best center on the Cavs last night. Mm. Yeah, no, and, you're right. I, I mean, Moses Brown is. Like he he's bad defensively. Like for yeah. all the things he brings to the table, he is. Bad he's a kid still, you know, and he's on a two way deal, so that's not fair to ask of him. And then Ed Davis is clearly just like at the point of his career where he is brought in to be much more of a veteran leader uh, and not a, a rotation player. And you can't be one injury. I mean, like, and we would have said this about the LeBron Cavs teams if they were one injury away from from James Jones playing, which mm-hmm. is kind of the role that Ed is occupying. We would say, okay, that's not good. Yeah, well, I, um, I mean, we saw that in 2017, right, where it was only really after the buyout where Darren Williams came in and gave them a backup point guard, and they didn't have Trist, they didn't have a real backup for Tristan after Moskov went down, right? Um, I've been mulling over the same thing, and I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because it, it wasn't on a rundown, because you look at kind of where the NBA is going to, and, and you look at some of these prospects that are, are coming into the NBA over the next few years, it really does seem like the league is shifting more and more towards two bigs again. And you look at Boston as an example. One of the major reasons for their turnaround was, okay, we really like what Robert Williams is doing as a rim protector, but we're going to move him to the four. We're going to have Al Horford playing as the center, and we're going to have Robert Williams in this uh, kind of roaming role. And the same thing's happening with Memphis, uh, another one of the best teams in the league, where Steven Adams is the center and Jaron Jackson Jr. is in that Evan Mobley-type role. Uh, And by the way, both those teams still have backup fives in Daniel Tice 
and uh and, and Brandon Clark, guys who can play those minutes. Like the Cavs didn't have that. Yeah. And, and even if it is, okay, we're going to bring in another four or five that can bring defense. If it's more of a four or five than a true five, I think that works. But I and I I like the idea of keeping Moses Brown around, keep him in the development system. Like let, let's see if we can make something of this because there's no denying the the effort level he brings, the the raw tools that he has. But I, I do think you it probably should be on the list of things to at least look into because you came into this year and Ed Davis's media day quote was, "I'm not here to play, right? Like I'm I'm here to be a veteran and, and I'm here to give leadership to those guys." And I think you see the growth they've made throughout the year. Obviously, it helps to have those veteran presence, but at the same time, I, I, I won't lie, Justin. It hurt hearing Zach Lowe talk about Isaiah Hardenstein as one of the best rim protectors in the league statistically. Yeah, on, on a veteran minimum deal with LA. Absolutely. And you look at that situation, it was probably a tough sell. Uh, what, what are you going to do? Are you going to split your minutes with Zubac? Or are you going to be in the Ed Davis role of I'm not here to play minutes that young in your career, right? Like, it, yeah, I get it. It just hurts because they had a Q, they could it, have extended a QO, you know? Yeah. And for me, I wanted Mobley playing primarily the backup center. And, and just because you bring a center in doesn't mean you can't do that on some nights or some matchups or um, like get a little weird or give both of them some rest. Right. Like there, there's a lot of ways that you can go about it. I don't think there's any sense in like slotting in. OK, what's the rotation for the 2022, 2023 Cavs at this point? But I, I'm I'm completely on board where I do think that there's a value to that. And this is part but, of the team building lessons, right, of where are we vulnerable when we get tested due to injuries? how light are we on our feet? Like, can we go out there and address those issues? What opportunities are there? Like, this is the value of going out there and trying to win all of these games and see how far you can push this season. Because when you're in these pressure moments, you see what cracks become exposed. When you have injuries, you see what cracks come become exposed. And this is now just the, the evaluation portion. Right? Data because, points. What's that? Data points. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, um, I like as frustrating as it is to go through all of this, I, I still feel like there there's so much positive that we can take from this season. But there's definitely been things that I, I think are very clear to identify. This is where we need more. And I, I think, honestly, the, the shooting guard position right now it has been something where we need more and more consistently. And it's been nice to see Karis LeVert uh, play better lately, but he picked up a bad time to have a bad game against the Magic again, right? And it ended up costing them. And if you're going into next season and you're assuming that Colin Sexton is back, as an example, I haven't seen enough out of Isaac Okoro offensively or seeing the consistency out of Karis LeVert to say either of those guys are better than what Sexton was. Now, there's still an offseason between now and then. We don't know what Sexton's going to look like. We don't know what growth Okoro's going to have. We have no idea what opportunities will become available to the Cavs. But uh, I, I think when Sexton went down, one of the things we were looking at is, okay, what can LeVert do with this opportunity? Or not LeVert, or what Okoro. can Okoro do with this opportunity? And I just... I, I like what I see in flashes. It's just not at the high level that you would necessarily need when you're trying to become a 50-win team. Yeah, I mean, uh, we've said this a few times, like magnifying glasses on, guys. 
uh, you're you're trying to win now. And like we said this about Mobley when he had a couple bad games, which is like normally this, this is super nitpicky stuff to say about a 19-year-old, but totally. when you're trying to make the playoffs, then you know, all of a sudden it does matter. Yep. And um and you know, I think you're just you're just spot on. Like I don't really have much to add because like ultimately we need to see that kind of stuff. We need to see Levert help this team, you know, get over the hump. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't do to to show flashes at this stage of the of the season. It's it's winning time, and you know I think that the the wings certainly let them down against Orlando. O- Okoro had probably the most promising stretch of his season mm-hmm. of his of his maybe his young career, uh, unless you count the garbage time stretch at the end of last year. Yeah, um, and just followed up by kind of disappearing again, and like the, those things hurt over, over when when you know when it's kind of time to to get through a rough stretch like this. And if you're looking at lessons to take away from this as well, like I, I remember vividly coming on after the, that first loss to the Pistons, I believe it was the 52nd game of the year. And we were sitting there being like, this is the first bad loss of the year. This is the first time where I felt like the Cavs did not show up. Uh, they, they did not play well. This was the the first bad loss of the year. And that's a remarkable amount of consistency from a young team. And I know there was, I believe there was a Houston loss uh, before that, uh, as well as the Pelicans one. But both of that was during the COVID stretch where a bunch of guys were out with COVID. But that Pistons loss was the first loss where I felt like they didn't show up and they didn't give kind of that signature Cavalier effort. And maybe one of the lessons from this season is for a bunch of guys that have never played this long of a season both of Garland's rookie and sophomore years were cut short uh, due, due to COVID, right? Um, they're, uh, Okoro hasn't played a long season like this. Mobley hasn't played a long season like this. Maybe some of the lessons are, okay, that's the intensity level we played with, but we can't start taking games for granted in the middle of the season or uh, when there's a third of the season left because you don't know what state your team is going to be in next week. You can look at it and say, oh, the, the schedule gets easier after this stretch, which, again, it's remarkable that they had 35 wins through the toughest part of their schedule and only got eight the, the rest of the way, right? Or eight to ten. Let, let's keep it in that range because we're still trying to stay somewhat optimistic here. Um, But maybe the lesson is you can't take any of these nights off against teams that you should beat because you don't know if injuries are going to strike, if uh, you're going to fall into a funk, if you're going to have an off night at the worst possible time against the Orlando magic. And that's something that I'm sure every single player on the team uh, would say something to that effect, and you you could probably get that quote out of them on media day. But until you actually go through a season at this length, and you're actually playing this hard every single night, and all of a sudden that fatigue and you is finally, getting... and you finally get a game against a team that's trying to not trying to win, yeah. and then you come out flat. The, these are the lessons that you have to learn. You can't learn them until you're actually in that moment. And it's like, it, it's exasperating, right? Like it's very frustrating when you want to see that win. you want to see the consistency from your team. But at the end of the day, like this is the growing pains. This is what you deal with when you're talking about a young team like this. So uh, as much as I hate it, as much as I wanted to see that win, like you have to acknowledge that this is part of the process. And anybody that's, tuning into the Cavs for the first time this year uh, after a couple of years away and expecting a finished product, we're still probably a few years away from that. But 
This is the growing pains, and these are the experiences that help you form a bond with a team as a fan. At least that's been the case for me because you watch them overcome all this stuff. You watch Garland go from a 14 and 5 guy to a 17 and 7 to a 26 and 11 guy, right? Like that is the the growth that makes the game so beautiful and, and part of why I love basketball so much. Yeah, it is uh it's been a it's been a rough stretch, but an informative one and one I hope the team continues to learn from. I got to ask you, Justin. I mean, I know I know we've got some other big picture stuff to hit on. You have a great topic uh that uh, that you pr- planned for this one. What seed did the Cavs finish, if you just had to guess? Oh, man, honestly, my normal optimism has shrunk. Um, I'm not counting them out because this team has proved me wrong, even with me being optimistic. Um, but they're going to have to prove me wrong again here because I, I really do feel like when you look at the schedules, the the way it plays out, Nine looks very, very possible at this point. I don't think Charlotte's going to win out, but um, if Brooklyn and Atlanta go two and one or Brooklyn sweeps the rest of the season, which, I mean, their their schedule is pretty easy. They're, the only real test is going to be the Cavs on Friday. Um, that's they're, they're likely going to pass us. So I, I unfortunately feel like nine is where they'd land, which, again, coming up to nine, like the way that we thought this season might go, when we were forecasting at the beginning of the year was really rough start. The schedule is brutal. You're playing all your Western conference road games at the start of the year. And maybe as the schedule lines up, you can climb up, get into that play in and get these guys some postseason experience. This is the absolute opposite. And it feels so much worse if that's the way this plays out. But that's kind of where, where my uh, gut is at right now, but not my heart. I think that nine, seems likely if not only because i don't expect to see the bigs back on friday just a gut thing not sourced at all and i'm feeling good about mobley i've I've, i feel it in my plums carter oh well here's here's open you know it's so annoying me that we have milwaukee to end the year and not the like the sixers who would absolutely do the cowards dodge of Brooklyn <laughs> like because the incentives are the such that Milwaukee probably want should want to dodge the two seed mm-hmm. um just just to protect themselves from from a Brooklyn matchup in the uh, in the first round just in case you, you honestly can't do that with the one or the two right because if Brooklyn like loses a game and they don't have the tiebreaker over uh Charlotte I, well I, one is locked well, I, I'm I'm saying like if Brooklyn is in the nine ten and they have to win both of those games, they're the eight. If they have an off yeah. night in the first play in, right? Because anything can happen. You can lose to the Orlando Magic. Uh, you like uh, things can get weird in basketball yeah, but the in thing, one game setting. Here, here's the thing though: Chicago has been so bad lately that you're not really penalized for dropping down to three. Now you might be pen- you are definitely penalized for dropping down to four because you got to go play Toronto. But like point is, I don't think Milwaukee's gonna do that. I think I think Milwaukee would love to beat up on the Brooklyn Nets in the first round. Maybe because a lot of people think that they didn't deserve to win that series last year. So I think there's a little bit of FU energy from them. So I don't think they're gonna punt. I think the Cavs are gonna have to win one of these one of these two games. We we um, should probably reach out to our buddy Ty Windish and, and just say, Hey, you know, the Cavs, they they'd make it as a three seed. You know? Like rest up. 
you got you're playing for more than uh than seeding that you're you're defending champs you know ha- have some guts have the guts to rest against the Cavs is, is my yeah, message abso- to the Milwaukee Bucks absolutely so point is I think they're gonna have to I think they're gonna have to earn these 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 next two games and they're two against two teams who are objectively better than them right now yeah and they're playing in a situation where momentum isn't in their favor I mean I I still can't get over after the NBA got rid of five and seven game stretches that that's where the the COVID makeup game was last week that that the Cavs did have to play five and five, seven five five and seven and six and nine like and just that that was abolished that was ugh. supposed to be gone I I just I can't get over it. It sucks. That's not the reason they lost to the Orlando Magic, to be clear, because I, I know people will jump on us anytime to, that they think we make excuses or anything like that. I just can't get over it. It's uh, the, the amount of schedule complaining we've done this year is astronomical, Carter. Well, I've never seen one. I don't normally even care about schedule, and it's been terrible. But, yeah, I mean, I just think, you know, at Brooklyn Hurts, um, you know, you do close the season at home, uh, and you just hope Milwaukee's mind is elsewhere. Um, and you know, I do think if they win one of the next two, they'll find a way to stay in eight, nine. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I mean, again, I just don't think the track record as of late, I mean, what is it? Six wins in their last 19, something like that. Yeah. It sounds um, right. You know, I mean, it, it cer- certainly feels track that record way. I mean, does not show it. Um, so, you know, I think that nine feels, nine feels likely to me and that's depressing. Uh, cause you know, your season comes down to one game. And yep. even if you win that one game, you're still not in the playoffs. Yep. So, uh, you know, it, I just think that, you know, it, we probably need to start, you know, emotionally prepping for this not to end the way we were hoping for it to. And, you know, all the all the questions that come out of that. And the worst thing of all, Justin, I'm going to have to check in on draft prospects. Oh, <laughs> I gosh. Was, I, I, yeah. I was so excited to skip that this year. Yeah, that that is absolutely like... Just know, loyal listener that's been sticking with us for years, that if we do have to do draft podcasts, I'm going to be doing it through gritted teeth. And I, I'm, I'm, it's going to be a crash course of asking questions and not a ton of input from me because at this point, I did not do a lot of study. N- number, f- I have never heard of four, five, six, seven, eight. Nine and ten on Tankathon's top ten on the big board. <laughs> I've never watched less college ball in my life. Um, if if you guys do need a palate cleanser, by the way, there is a phenomenal Darius Garland video that the Ringer put out. Uh, J. Kyle Mann uh, did of Garland making the leap this season. That is just full of great nuggets. It's full of great uh, breakdowns of the the progressions he's made and the the progress that he's made throughout the season. Um, like it's, it's really, really good stuff. But one fun fact in there that I did not realize, Carter, where do you think Garland ranks in the NBA in actions run off a screen in terms of volume? Like how many times like a, a off the screen action has been called for him this season? I think I saw a stat on this, so I think I might know the answer. It's like really high. It's like fifth or something like that, right? It's third. Only Third. Steph Curry and Duncan Robinson have had more off-screen action run for them this season, uh, like off-ball action. Which I, I, mean, I was told JB didn't employ off-ball action. <laughs> you know what? It's 
probably a really great reminder that the offense has been forced to change on necessity so many times this season. We've had to get away from the opening training camp identity of this roster, we, the, the adjustments they've made throughout the year. Eventually, you run out of adjustments. Like If you're looking at that Magic game as an example, and I hate to go back to it again because I'm trying to flush it out of my memory, but yeah, the, the effort and compete level wasn't where you need to be, but what are the options on the bench that you could go to, right? Like, what are the guys that you could put in and say, okay, these guys aren't playing hard. Let's let's set an example. Let's get someone else out there. We're just like, there's, there's a finite number of adjustments. There's a finite number of depth on the team. And as I said, even on the last podcast, having someone like Dean Wade, I think, would have made a really big difference in a, in a game like that. And uh, when, when you're missing Dean Wade and you're bargaining that, uh, can we at least have a Dean Wade? That is a pretty rough diagnosis of just where this season has gone. And uh, I, I don't think it has an impact on the future of this team. Uh, like, I just flat out don't. Um, this season has exceeded all expectations. But it, it's just, as you said, it's a, it's a very frustrating way for this year to come to a close. And I, I just want to sim to the end. I, I absolutely want to sim to the start of next season because I cannot wait for what this team's going to look like after an off season. Yeah, I, I, I think that like, you know, I, I don't know if I want to sim to the end. I do want to see how they react, respond to the play in. Oh, I, I should have um, been very clear. I'm talking about like once the, the play in and hopefully the playoffs are over. I do not want to go through. Oh, an offseason. Yeah. No, I do not no. want to go through an off season. I am. I've never been so excited uh, about a core like this. Like th- this is, is just such a fun place to be in. And uh, as I said before, the the fact that the league seems to be trending in the direction that the Cavs are building in, in terms of the, the two bigs and uh, just what they're able to do defensively, I think is a really, really good sign. Yeah. Yeah. It's it. And the thing is the other reason I want to skip the off season is teams done. Like the team has like a few positions that they have to address that they have to address. Yep. Um, and mostly I just want to like, I want, and like, you know, I hate contract drama, so I don't want to like sweat through Colin and free agency. I just, I like that's not fun. I for hate, That's not fun for me. Like restricted free agency isn't fun. So I, like, I love, yeah, I just want to love get discussing moving. the aftermath of transactions. I hate like, talking about it beforehand i i hate trying to assign number of values to players and and talking it's just about not it's just before. not interesting it's just not because it's it's speculation about numbers that we have no control over so like yeah i'm excited to get through that but like we do have a lot of basketball left oh maybe not a lot uh but uh, a, a decent amount possible. of bas uh, a decent amount of basketball left before we have to move on i do think we should talk about your uh your kevin topic before we before we wrap I was about to say, speaking of speculating, Kevin Love uh, became ninth in the Cavs' all-time scoring list, which is is a hell of an accomplishment. He's been with the Cleveland Cavaliers longer than he was with the Minnesota Timberwolves, which is just mind-boggling to me. Uh, Obviously, one of the best stories of this season. But I thought it'd be fun to ask you, Carter, how many members of this current Cavs team will pass him on the Cavs' all-time scoring list. Right now, you have Kevin Love at uh, just over 7,000 points. Uh, Colin Sexton is next at about 4,400. Garland at 31. Allen at 1,600. And Mobley, one point shy of 1,000 for his rookie season. I think Darius definitely will. 
I think. Hmm. I think Mobley definitely will just because of the way that the rookie contracts line up. And I'm going to go and just throw this on, uh, throw, throw the, throw the list on, uh, on the stream. I think that. Hmm. Do you this think Sexton gets radio. there? This is great Do you think radio. Sexton gets there? That's the tricky thing because if he signs, if he resigns, he gets there. Ah, but even then, you like you never know, right? Because they, the NBA is a business, and like, well, plus Kevin's probably playing next year. Yeah, good, good like point, it's not like point. he's going away. Yeah, um, I, I think Garland and Mobley are the two that I'm pretty confident in, and some of that is me projecting into the future and and hoping that these guys are Cavs for the the next decade. Um, I just think they don't need to be. You know, like I think you know, you look at Mobley's pace; he's about seven years if he just ups his scoring by like two or three points a game. And seven years is kind of the minimum you keep guys these day these days, unless yeah. you know they demand out or something like or, that. Yeah, so, or really eight with with the new extent uh, extension structure. So uh, I I think Mobley and Garland for sure. Uh, I I'd like to see Sexton get there. Um, if there's more li- more likely, Colin or Jarrett. Colin, I, I I think Colin just because, like the reality is, I think Jared is is going to continue to get a lot better within the margins, but I I think assuming Sexton's back, he's going to be one of the primary play finishers. You look at his usage rates this season, uh, even in the eleven games, it was only one point lower than Garland's for the season, I believe. Um, at, at least when I was looking at it on dunks and threes uh, today, that's what it was. Um, Mobley is going to continue to take more of a step forward. And I, I just think there's going to be such a balance of approach because that's the way they came into this season where, Hey, we got Garland, Ricky and, and Colin that can all go out there and initiate some offense. Mobley is going to take more of that responsibility. You would assume that the depth would continue to improve. So I, I think it'll be a little tricky for, uh, Jared to, to catch love it, especially you know, if love plays another season with them. You know and I, what I'm hearing. We both think Colin's sticking around a couple more years. Oh, baby, bring bring it back. Let me uh, let me just pivot and uh, gesture to my Sexland poster in the back. Of course, man. I, I was just thinking about how we haven't gotten to say Sexland almost all season. What a sad thing. It's you know I've I've been repressed. I've been repressed all year. But you know what? Like let's uh, let's keep our fingers crossed, baby, because I like. And and that's the the fun thing because I, I I think that all these pieces fit together so well and I, I think there's a role for all of these guys and like even when we're talking about Isaac not delivering consistently on the offensive end of the floor like there is absolutely a spot for an Isaac Okoro on every team in the league like what what he can bring to any rotation uh, is valuable we just want to continue to see that growth right and, and I've said it a million times but. You can't penalize a guy for being on a more traditional growth curve. So we'll we'll see what happens this offseason. But this is going to be a real test for them, man. Like I like you said, now that they've kind of made their bed and and they blew the easy one against the Orlando Magic, you have to live with the consequences of that. And that might mean going out there and getting some really tough wins against Brooklyn and Milwaukee or getting into the play in and, you know, kind of rediscovering that that uh, that fire and no pun intended, but that magic, uh, you know, go, going out there and winning two of those games or at least really pushing. I, I think all experience is valuable. You can't be afraid of failure as a concept, but you do have to learn from it. And, and I think that this is a real opportunity for the Cavs to go out and do that.
Absolutely, my friend. Yeah, man. I'm I'm nervous. I'm going to be watching through gritted teeth on Friday. I hope it doesn't come down to a call again because uh, I've I've managed to go this entire podcast without pointing out the fact that we wouldn't be in this position if the Philly game was just officiated properly. But you know, well, that, you did till now. That's me. That's just me. That's just me. I, uh, I I'm still going to enjoy. Man, looking at the current standings, Carter. I don't know if you noticed this, but it looks pretty likely that Philly and Toronto are going to play the four or five series. And it, that's a Philly nightmare, man. <laughs> and apparently uh, Matisse Thibel was not eligible to travel to Toronto because uh, I, I'm assuming that means he's not vaccinated. So that's an interesting wrinkle. It stands wrinkle. to reason. It stands to reason. Uh, that would make things really, really interesting. But my God, those two fan bases, that is some Godzilla let them fight energy if I've ever seen it. That that would be really terrific. And no matter it'll, what. It'll be the most aggrieved uh, fan bases Toronto just losing their mind at every foul called and Philly losing their mind at every foul not called <laughs> and it'll be horrible man I, I'm I'm really hoping for that because you know what's the beautiful thing about that Carter one what? of those teams is guaranteed to lose in the first round well, uh, I don't hate Toronto like you do but... uh, you know what's uh, unfortunate but... no it's unfortunate I find almost every individual player on the Raptors incredibly likable. And it's yeah, same so, with the Celtics for the most part. That's a pretty likable team too. And and yep. the people that cover them are terrific. I love and the you Raptors. Just hate them. They, they're so good. But the the fans, man, the fans, the player avi fans just they've driven me to this point. And and that's a, a really, really unfortunate thing. But you know what? We'll 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 win the long game. I'm I'm confident we'll win the long game. Even even if recency bias takes rookie of the year from Evan Mobley and they give it to Scotty Barnes after that after this year, all people will say is, "Hey, that's a nice six nine Gerald Wallace you have there. That's fine." <laughs> you need to cool it. I like Scotty Barnes, and so do you. I love Scotty Barnes, but I I got to get a joke in when I whenever I see it. But you know what? I'm glad we could still get some jokes in after a, a very very difficult loss. Hopefully, the Cleveland Cavaliers will find a way to at least get one win over these next two games because that makes the the path a whole lot easier. Uh, we will be back on Monday to recap uh, what goes on uh, with the Cavs in their final two games of the season and preview the play-in tournament, hopefully in that 7-8 spot. Um, so I uh, hope you guys are all staying safe out there. If you're watching live on YouTube, make sure you like, subscribe, click the notification bell so you know when we're going live. If you're listening via podcast, leave us a rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and help cook those books. If you want to be part of the Chase Down's exclusive Discord chat, you can send us a screenshot of that review to chasedownpod at gmail.com. However you choose to support us, we really do appreciate it. Make sure you guys are staying safe out there. Until next time, go Cavs.